Have, uh, have you ever known something was coming, like something was going to happen, and you're kind of anxious about it, and you're kind of nervous about it, and you weren't too sure about it, you weren't really sure how it was going to go, um, or how it was all going to work out, um, and, but yet you, you knew in the end it was for the best, you knew in the end it was going to be good. Um, I, I really felt this way, I uh, remember when, uh, uh, when Brittany was expecting Rowan, um, when we were sitting here, and I'm not thinking about being a dad for the first time, and uh, well, how bad am I going to mess this kid's life up, and you know, uh, all that kind of thing, and, and then we had that kind of surreal moment when we left the hospital with him, and uh, we, we looked at each other in the car, and we were like, they just let us leave with this kid. Like, we're in charge. Like, if, if he lives or dies, that's up to us. And, uh, and so it was kind of like a lot of thinking and plays mind tricks on you. And then you get into it and you figure out, yeah, you're going to mess up. And uh, the kid still makes it, okay? So um, in the end, it's going to be okay. Uh, but uh, I say that to say today, in today's passage, uh, Jesus tells us about um, the fact that there's something he's anxious about um, at this point in his life, uh, something that he is feeling some, uh, some kind of anxiety over, and he, it's a, a thing that he kind of wishes it was just already done. Uh, and so uh, let's look at Luke chapter 12, and I'm starting in verse uh, 49 today. It says this, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus is saying that he's really distressed over this thing. And uh, to understand this, we, uh, we really need to put into context. One of the keys to understanding the Bible is context is king. Um, and so we don't want to just take take verses and make them say what we want them to say, but we want them to, to speak to us on what they were intended to say, right? Uh, and so when we look in the bigger context, uh, the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus was talking about his second coming, uh, when he's going to return, when he's going to come again, uh, when there will be judgment, where there will be uh, punishment for those who are not in Christ Jesus, uh, where there will be reward and, and everything for those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are, are living according to his word. And so he comes right out of that and he goes into this, that I came to cast fire on the earth. Now there's a lot of, there's kind of different opinions on what, what is Jesus saying here when he says that he came to cast fire on the earth. One is taken in the very literal sense uh, that we are told when he comes back, when there is judgment, that the whole earth will burn, right? Um, and that's what, what Scripture tells us is going to happen in the future. And a lot of times when we look at Scripture, we, especially when it comes to prophecy, especially about Jesus, it's hard to differentiate sometimes between his first coming and his second coming. When you look at the Old Testament passages that talk about it, um, this is why so many people in Jesus' day who knew the Old Testament, knew God's Word, knew all of these prophecies, totally missed Jesus because they were expecting it to be all at one time. Uh, All of the prophecies about him being a mighty military ruler, for him coming and conquering, uh, for him bringing judgment, all of that. Um, Because it will literally be like in one verse. And so the first part of the verse is talking about Jesus' first coming. And then the second part of the verse is talking about his second coming. 
Um, and so for us, it's, it's kind of hard to look at those and differentiate what's going on here. Like, yeah, I can see how Jesus did this part, but he didn't do this part. Um, so I guess that part's still in his second coming. So imagine when you were there in the time that he was walking the earth, and he's saying, hey, I'm the one that all this is pointing to. And they're saying, well, why aren't you doing this part? Right? Because that's what they're looking for. And Jesus is even saying here, part of the mission, part of what I came for is the whole thing. His first coming is all a part of the big plan for his second coming. And see, our problem is, is, is we're human. We have finite minds. And God is infinite. We are inside of time. God is outside of time. He, he is from eternity past to eternity future. He sees the whole thing as one big picture. He sees it as one thing. And so when the prophecies come from him about how this is going to happen, it's one big picture. This is Jesus coming. And he doesn't necessarily divide it into the first coming, the second coming. Uh, one way that some uh, theologians uh, choose to explain this is if we walked outside right now and we looked across the lake at the mountains, it would look like, from our vantage point, that they're all right beside each other. But we know if we drive over there that there's actually great distance from one mountain to the other mountain, Right? And that's the way it is sometimes with prophecy and looking at that in Scripture is when God's painting the picture for us, it's like you're sitting back and you're looking at the whole mountain range. And, and to God, that's the way it, it all is. This is the way it's all playing out. But then when you get into it, there's a great distance from one mountain to the other mountain. And so, uh, so Jesus here, even he's, he's conveying that in, even though in my coming the first time, the plans are for the second time. I came to bring fire. I bring, came to bring judgment um, on this earth. That's part of his mission the first time he came. So that's the literal sense of the understanding of, of what he's saying here. And I really think he kind of is speaking both ways because there's also the figurative sense. That he came to bring fire in the sense of a spiritual fire. A spiritual awakening. A spiritual newness. Uh, many times in the New Testament, um, after Jesus' resurrection, when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, the Holy Spirit is equated with fire. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives is equated with fire. And so I think Jesus here kind of can have a double meaning even in what he's saying. That he's saying, yeah, I came with the end in mind, where I see the, the, the end where judgment comes and all of that and the wrath of God is poured out. Um, but at the same time, I came that up until that point in this middle time between the two mountains where the, the fire of my spirit is going to be working. It's going to be moving in people. It's going to be doing a good work. It's going to be changing people's lives. It's going to be doing a great thing. And he, he's sitting here and none of this has happened yet. And he says, and I would that it were already kindled. He knows how good this is going to be for people, that they get the Holy Spirit, that they get the newness, that they get the, the freshness. That he's, he's looking at these people and he's saying, I wish you already had it. I wish we were already there. I wish we had already, already done this. I wish it was already a finished thing. And he goes on because it's not a finished thing at this point. Because he still has something to do. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished? And we think, okay, baptism, that's what we do here at church, right? Where we put our trough out, we dunk people in the water. You know, some people do it down in the lake. We, 
we'll do it in the lake if it's warm enough and I don't freeze to death baptizing somebody. Um, you know, like, is, is that what he's talking about here? Well, no, at this point, Jesus had already been baptized. He was already baptized by John at this point. Um, at that same point, uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Uh, so some people like to differentiate between uh, spiritual baptism, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes upon you, um, and physical baptism, where you are immersed in, in water. Uh, and they like to differentiate those two and say, well, maybe he's just talking about one or the other here. Well, no, for him, both of them happened at the same time. Uh, and I, uh, so I don't see that as being what he's talking about. What I see that he's talking about here is he's talking about the baptism of death, where he knew what he came for was to die. That was the purpose of his first coming, that he knew that he was going to be baptized into death, that he was going to be submerged into death, that he was going to be immersed all the way down in death, fully, 100%. Why? So that he could appease the wrath of the Father. Now, a lot of times we, we think about this and we're just like, well, okay, yeah, Jesus came, he died, whatever. Um, I, th- I think we miss out on the magnitude of what happened in that moment. Imagine for a minute that you are Jesus. You have eternally existed with the Father in perfect love, perfect harmony, and perfect unity for all of eternity. Now, if any of you can fully imagine that, I am very impressed at your imagination. Because it is beyond what we can even fathom. Like, that's how big a deal it is. And that's, that's the relationship that he had had with the Father for, not just for forever, but from before forever. For all of eternity. Infinite. And he knew what was coming The thing that's distressing him was not just the fact that he was going to die in the most brutal way that mankind's pretty much ever cooked up to kill somebody. It was dehumanizing. It was physically excruciating. I mean, it was just a brutal way for someone to die. And that was the purpose of it. The Romans wanted people to know, hey, don't mess with us or this is what happens to you. And he, it wasn't, I don't think his, his agony was just over the fact that that was coming. But I think it was over the fact that he knew that in that moment, in that time, no longer was he going to have the perfect love and unity with the Father that he had experienced for all of eternity, but instead he was going to be the object of God's wrath. That God's wrath that we deserve was going to be poured out on him in fullness. And that's distressing. But he's looking at it and he knows this is the plan. This is the mission. This is what I came for. I love these people. I want to do this for these people. But I know it's not going to be fun getting there. I know it's going to be agony. And he's saying, I wish it were already done. I wish I was already through with this part. But he wasn't. But he knew that that was what was coming. And the reason that he did that was so that we can be saved. So that we don't have to be the objects of that wrath. So that we can be forgiven. 
by faith in him, by believing in him, by asking him to be our Lord and Savior. It's so that he could give us that great gift. And so he's looking forward and he sees the road that he has to take, but he knows what's at the end of that road. And so he wants to get to the end, but he knows that there's distress in getting there. That there's the hardship in getting there. And so, so he knows that's coming. And he also knows what's going to happen because of this. Going on, verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Do you think that? Because most of us are familiar with the Christmas story. And the angel came. And the angel proclaimed, peace on earth and goodwill to men with whom God is well pleased. That's what the angel said the baby was there for. This is the baby grown up. And he says, do you think that I've come to bring, give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus is saying, hey, this good thing that I'm going to do that's going to be called the gospel, the good news, you know what's going to be the byproduct of that? It's division. Division down into the most human relationships between your families. You're like, wow, this is really encouraging. Happy time with Jesus this morning. Glad I came for this. Follow Jesus and your mom will hate you. Yay. Right? Like, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying is going to happen. And he knew that was going to happen. And I'll tell you, this is why we preach systematically through the Bible. It's because it's in here for a reason. And Jesus wanted us to know this truth. And while it might not be a happy truth, while it might not be a feel-good moment, it's the truth. And when it happens in our families, we shouldn't step back and say, oh my, why did this happen? But we should know that Jesus said, hey, this is going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Well, think about what the world, what people did to Jesus. They beat him. And they hung him on a cross. And to be a follower of Jesus means that you're following Jesus. So if you think that that means that everybody's going to like you, then you might be a little mistaken. Because we need to understand who it is that Jesus came to die for. So we think about it about ourselves, right? We think, oh, Jesus died for me. Like, that's so nice of him. Like, you know, and I'm a pretty good person. Why wouldn't he love me, right? And so I'm very lovable. So I'm glad that Jesus came out of his love for me to die, to pay for my sin so that I could be forgiven. And yet what the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, it tells us this. I'm starting in, uh, in verse 8. It says, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for his enemies. That's who he chose to lay down his life for. That's who we are by our natural birth. By being sinners, by being people who do things against God's will and against God's word, it means that we're his enemies. And you say, well, wait a second, I'm not an enemy of God. Well, Scripture says you were. Hopefully, when you, when you come to faith in Christ, you're no longer there. But we should look at the rest of mankind as those who aren't in Christ Jesus, those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus, as technically Scripture says that they are still enemies with God. And if they are enemies with God, enemies of Jesus, and you are following Jesus, what do you think their response is going to be to you at times? It's going to be the response of an enemy, I would think. Because you see, Jesus knew that peace with Jesus meant war with the world. When you go back to, to that, uh, what the angels said, peace on earth and goodwill to men with whom God is well pleased. He's bringing peace, but he's not bringing global peace. He's bringing the best peace he could bring, and that's the peace that we can have between us and God. The peace where though we are enemies, we can come to him for forgiveness. And the wrath that is due us and the punishment that is due us can be put on Christ. And Jesus says, I've got that. I've got him. I've got her. I can take care of what they have done. They are forgiven. They are made new. They have a new birth, a new life in me. They are mine. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the people who haven't gotten there yet, look at that. And it can be offensive. It can be very offensive to them. If you're living in such a way that you're glorifying God with your life. And it will divide even down into families. I've experienced this in my family. For sure. And if it weren't for passages like this that we're looking at today, I would look at it and I would say, Well, God, what's going on? This isn't right. I don't like this. Because I don't like it. I would much rather have a very close relationship with all of my family members. But the truth is, is when, when some in your family choose to go against what Jesus says, and some choose to follow Jesus, you're not going in the same direction. And that leads to division, that leads to heartache, that leads to pain, and it hurts And Jesus warned us of this. But the good news is, well, before we get to the good news, let's go ahead and cover the rest of the bad news. Bad news is the truth of the gospel divides. The truth of the gospel divides. That's what divides us, is the truth of the gospel. The gospel says that we are sinners and that we are in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior and that by what he did on the cross, he can offer his grace and his mercy and his peace. And there is freedom found in that, and there is reward found in that. 
But that truth divides. It has divided since the moment of Jesus was preaching it. Right? They killed him, his followers, his, his disciples. The ones, you know, people say, oh, well, it was probably, it's just a lie. People made it up. He didn't really raise from the dead, right? If anyone knew that Jesus did not raise from the dead, it was his disciples. It was those 11 men who, who bore witness and said, we have seen him raise from the dead. We know this is true. And you say, well, if it was a lie, why would they say that? What did they get out of it, right? People lie all the time. What do they get out of lying? Usually you get something for yourself out of it. You know what these guys got? Heartache, punishment, pain, suffering. At least 10 of the 11 were killed for saying this. This was, and, and to a person, none of them denied it. None of them went back and said, oh, you're about to kill me? Well, wait, let me change my mind. I'm going to change my statement now. Because that's what everybody wanted them to say. But they said, no, this is true. We know this to be true with all of our being. And this truth supersedes anything you can do to me. And so that's why I can believe that it's true. That these guys were willing to lay down their lives for it because they knew it was true. And because it's that big of a deal. And it has divided people all along. But the good news, we can get to the good news now. Jesus in Matthew 19 is talking about this same fact. And uh, in Matthew uh, 19, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. Jesus is saying, I know it's going to divide your family, but you know what? In the end, in my kingdom, in eternity with me, you get a hundredfold reward for that. You get eternal life. It is so much better. It is so much more rewarding than anything that you're losing here. So that's part of the good news. That's part of the reward that he's promised us. But what helps us here and now? How do we deal with this truth now, here? Because it is hard. Well, a big part of this is what Scripture teaches us over and over again. And this is why the New Testament letters that are written to the churches are just full of encouragement about being unified with one another. Because the important aspect is, yeah, if the family is divided and the family represents the culture as a whole, the world as a whole, and it's divided three against two, and if the two are the Christians, then those two really need to stick together. Those two really, really need each other. And some of you might say, well, in my family, it's one. It's one against 20, right? Or however many are in your family. You're like, I'm the only one. I want to encourage you with what Scripture encourages us with. And that's the fact, that's why we have each other. That's why we have the church that's why we have our church family. 
Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Paul's encouraging us like, hey, yeah, we have enough problems that we don't need to just make up problems amongst ourselves. We need to get along. We need to have harmony with one another. We need to have unity with one another because this is who we've got. And guess what? If Jesus' blood has covered me for eternity and Jesus' blood has covered you for eternity, that means we're spending eternity together. We might as well start getting along. And that's the thing that Jesus has given us is each other. And that's how we make it through the hard parts. That's how we make it through the tough times with our family. That's how we make it through the divisions. So how do we deal with those people, though? How do we deal with those, those people who are coming after us, who don't like what we're doing, don't fall, like the fact we're following Christ? Verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what Paul's telling us to do. Let's think for a minute about the guy who said that. His life was not marked by peace. He was constantly beaten. He was constantly berated. He was constantly getting drug out in the street. He was pulled before councils. He was put on trial. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten and ultimately... um, We believe that he was executed. And he says, so much as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. And so sometimes it's not possible. But so much as it is possible, live at peace. Get along. Get along with others. And this this harmony with one another is the key And so how do we have that harmony? How do we have that closeness with one another? How do we find that true family with one another? A big part of that is time together. And that's why we're starting our new community groups. It's so we have time together. That's why one week out of the month, your group will play together. Where you have fun. Because we have enough coming at us that we need to just have fun sometimes. So we'll have fun together. And we need to grow together in that. But also we need to grow in our relationships with God. So that's why we're going to study together. So we can encourage each other in the word, in studying what God says and how we we relate to him. And then, you know what? Those people that are our enemies, it's bad to talk like that, right? It just seems awkward because that's who we were before we came to Christ. And what we want for them is to find the same hope that we have. And so what we're going to do on the third week of the month is we're going to go out and serve so they can see the love that Christ has for us, so they can see it put in practice. And that's the good thing. And then we're going to study together again so we can grow more. Then we're going to keep rotating. And the point of this is to be able to have this kind of unity with one another, where we have a place where we belong, a place where we have, have each other's backs. 
And you might be here today and you might say, well, okay, I don't, I'm not really into the, the whole Christianity thing yet. I'm still kind of checking out Jesus. I don't really know if this is worth it, especially when you tell me it's going to divide my family, when you can tell he's going to turn other people against me. Like, I don't know if that's something I want to sign up for. Let me tell you, it's totally worth it. Because what you get from him and the relationship with him far surpasses anything that you lose in human relationships. That's the best decision you could ever make. And we invite you to make that decision. We invite you to come to him today, right now. We invite you into unity with the rest of us. We invite you to share in this life with us. I want to close today by offering... Paul's exhortation here in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus, and we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has come um, as a result of Jesus giving his life. And Lord, we thank you for the new life we can have in you. I pray for anyone here who does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior. God, this might be the most unlikely passage for someone to to hear and say, sign me up for that. But Lord, we know that you use your word. And we pray that through the preaching of your word, you will bring about new life. Because it is so important. And Lord, I pray for our upcoming community groups. I pray that through this this tool, through this vehicle, we will have this kind of unity with one another, that we'll be able to lift each other up, that as we have those struggles in our family, where our families are divided, that we can turn to one another, and we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened, and we can be lifted up by each other. And all the more as we see the day approaching, the day where you will return, where you will call us home, where we get to be in your presence for the rest of eternity. And God, I thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name, amen.